Well, our reading for today comes from the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord to you today. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your, no- your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Pray together. Almighty God, may my words be your words, and our thoughts, your thoughts, our strength and our salvation. Amen. Well, today is the first Sunday of this glorious season of Advent, and if that's new to you, if you're unfamiliar to the church calendar, uh, that means basically that we enter a season of longing, a season of waiting, uh, a season of yearning. Uh, The four Sundays that lead to Christmas are set aside uh, to help us prepare for the good news of Christ's birth. And uh, if you are anything at all like my family and me, Uh, the next few weeks have a chance of just being a bit of a blur, right? Uh, Filled with uh, frenzy of uh, purchasing presents and uh, maybe throwing or attending parties, uh, creating menus, uh, you know, cleaning, and maybe even a little bit of of travel. There's a chance amid all of that chaos that we would miss uh, preparing our spirits, our souls, for the grace of God in this season, what this season is all about, Uh, which is why we need We need Advent, right? We need Advent. Uh, It helps us prepare for much more than just a holiday. Uh, My friend Tish Warren just recently wrote a book about Advent, and she says that when people found out that she was writing this book about Advent, they all inevitably wanted to know the same, had the same question and wanted to know, uh, which is, how soon is it okay to listen to Christmas music? (laughs) Apparently, that's what we all want to know. Tell us, Tish, what is the answer to that question? Uh, And while she doesn't answer that question at all in her book, what she does suggest is that for us to remember that Advent is a gift of Christian tradition. Uh, It's not a burden. It's not a set of rules. It's not a a dramatic time for us to be somber or weary or, um, uh, you know, penitent. It's, it's, uh, as with the rest of the Christian calendar, it is helpful and it's a formative practice. It is not a command. Uh, But one of the ways that Advent does shape us is that it offers us a different perspective on the new year. 
Uh, you may think that the new year begins in just a few weeks on January 1st, but here in this space, right, in Christ Church, uh, we follow a different calendar, a different uh, time. And uh, this time walks us through the life of Christ each and every year. And this new year begins today, right? It begins with Advent. Um, and if you are one of those people who is still laboring under the, the delusion uh, that New Year's resolutions actually work uh, in your life, even though you know, studies show that most of them fail by about February 1st, if you get that far, um, Advent invites you to think about the new year and the new self in a different way. Um, new Year's resolutions, right, the ones that we are about to make, and we're all going to make them even though we know uh, that we're probably not going to keep them. We're going to make them anyways. It's great. Uh, but these resolutions tend to be about what we can do to kind of fix ourselves or optimize ourselves uh, using nothing but our own steam, our own willpower. But often we end up like Samuel Johnson that great uh, 18th century English thinker and writer who famously kept copious notes and detailed records of all of his resolutions. And in the, the latter half of his life, we read from his diary in 1764, I have now spent 55 years in resolving. O oh God, grant me to resolve aright and to keep my resolutions. I resolve to rise early, not later than six if I can. One year later, 1765. I purpose to rise at eight. <laughs> because though I shall not rise early, it will be much earlier than I now rise. For I often lie till two. <laughs> Can you relate? I mean, oftentimes fixing ourselves doesn't always work out like we planned for it to, at least maybe not as long as we would have planned. Advent is about help coming from outside of ourselves. It's about help coming beyond us, help coming from God. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today with the help of this prophet that we read just a minute ago. If you pay attention throughout this season, you're going to notice that the scripture readings are a bit tense. They're a bit apocalyptic, a bit dark. Uh, some of the great Advent hymns, even hymns that we've sang uh, together today, are set in minor keys. Uh, Wendell Berry, that great uh, novelist and poet, once wrote that Advent happens in the darkest days of winter. It gets darker and darker, he says, and then Jesus is born. But first, we have to learn to wait in the dark. Well, the reading from Isaiah reminds us that we don't begin this season with Christmas cheer at all. We, we begin with a cry for help. What does he say? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Our souls long, our souls long for God to fix that which we feel is unfixable uh, in our world. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one here this morning who feels at times desperate for God to uh, make things right. Oh God, would you just come down? Would you set everything right? Would you burst into our world? Right? Whether it's the situation in Israel and in Gaza or the ongoing war in Ukraine, uh, the, the continued contempt that we have in our culture for one another, or maybe if it's just more personally, right? The people that we love uh, who are afflicted by disease over which we have very little control. Years ago, following 9-11, uh, I remember a minister that I knew saying that people needed Christmas more than ever that year. And for some reason, though it's a very different scale and a different time, I have felt that these last few weeks. I don't know if you would join me in that feeling that we need Christmas. 
But the cry of Advent, it's deeper than just fixing the world out there and the problems out there. If you keep reading in Isaiah, you find that the plot twists. In verse 6, something happens. Something happens to Isaiah. Having invited God to come and fix the world, Isaiah begins to look around. He actually looks within himself as well. It's the, the same thing happens when you invite guests over to your own home. You look around and you immediately notice uh, the things you didn't see before, right? If you have young children like I do, a six-year-old who wants to put his hands on every surface of glass uh, or could be smudged, right? You notice the greasy hands everywhere or maybe when the light hits just right, you notice like, oh, when was the last time that we swept the floors? Right? You begin to notice these things. The point is that when you look at yourself or look at uh, your own home from the perspective of someone else, you immediately are insecure uh, about the imperfections. And so Isaiah, having demanded God come immediately to solve all the problems of the world, looks around and realizes that he and his people are part of the problem. And so he says this, we have all become like one who is unclean. We all... All our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. We acknowledge during Advent that not only is the world out there broken and in need of saving, but we ourselves have fallen short. That uh, great Russian writer, Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn, said that the line between good and evil runs through each and every human heart. It doesn't run through political camps. It doesn't run through different cities. Uh, it doesn't run through different sports teams. Right? It runs through each and every human heart. So when we cry out to God to come and fix everything that is wrong with the world, we may find, and we should find, that we are included in that. I mean, haven't you? Certainly I'm not the only one here. Haven't you failed to live up to your own expectations, your own standards? Haven't you, in a moment of impatience, spoken harshly to someone in your own home or at work? Haven't you, from time to time, judged other people too harshly? Well, thankfully, we are not just left to our own willpower to fix the world out there or to fix ourselves, because we also read this in the same passage. From ages past, no one has seen any God besides you. You who works for those who wait. No one has seen any God besides you. You who works for those who wait. And what this means is this. When your hands are tied, there is a God whose hands work for you. When you feel you you can't take one more step, there is a God who will pick you up and who will carry you. There is a God when you feel as if you have nowhere to turn for mercy. There is a God whose mercies are new each and every morning. And it also means that when you feel that you are up against a problem, that you just cannot see yourself around, that there is a God who will surprise you. That is what it means, that there is a God who works for those who wait. And I would venture to say that it is even good for us to wait. Uh, ultimately, I think that, at least in the scriptures, waiting and hoping are synonymous terms, which means that where there is waiting, where we find ourselves longing, there is hope. There is hope. There's hope for a God who is working sometimes uh, imperceptibly deep beneath the surface of our lives, deep beneath the surface of our culture. 
And it doesn't mean waiting or hoping for God's work to show up in our lives is easy or even pleasant, right? Tom Petty sang that famous line that, that uh, waiting is the hardest part. And it's true. It's true. It may feel to you that you've been waiting for something for so long that maybe you've even given up. But I can tell you confidently, and I really believe this, on this first Sunday of Advent that God will show up. And I can say that with confidence because God already has showed up. He has already answered the prophet's prayer. He did tear open the heavens, but notice that no one quaked at his presence. He came quietly, he came subtly, he came humbly in the form of a baby, which means that the way in which God works may be and probably will be in a way that you won't expect. I'm going to tell you a story and then I'm finished. My friend Will is around my age and he has been on dialysis for about 12 years now. He lives with a a very rare kidney disease that uh, is so devastating that uh, even after his mother uh, gave him one of her kidneys uh, and it was transplanted successfully that in a short amount of time uh, the disease attacked that kidney as well and made him go back into dialysis. Will says that that moment after receiving a new kidney and losing that new kidney, that was the darkest moment for him. Uh, He saw a vision of his life where his future was consumed by this disease. Um, He says he believes in miracles, he believes in the power of prayer, uh, and he believes in healing. Uh, But that hasn't been his story. Uh, His story is uh, is the story of someone just getting sicker and sicker and having to go on dialysis. And yet, remarkably, he says that that is his experience of God showing up, that God has been present to him in the most awful place, and that he has even said that dialysis, he finds dialysis as a form of mercy. And then what he calls the growing list of in spite ofs, or ISOs, getting a a job in spite of his disease, getting a degree in spite of his disease, getting married, having a family in spite of his disease. And the list goes on and on and on. Eventually, his disease is actually minimized. And he says that that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one year. It might not happen in a few years. But then with a, a kind of faith that I only know how to stand in awe of, he says it will happen. It will happen. When I ask him how he can be so confident of this, he replies, it's much better than choosing the darkness. It's much better than choosing the darkness. Advent reminds us all that there is a light that we can't always see, but it is burning. With the prophet Isaiah, we can be sure that God is at work. I can tell you that God is at work for you. It may be, and it probably will be, in a way that you won't expect, but God is at work. And this Advent, these next few weeks, we all have the chance to hold on to that hope. In Will's words, it is much better than choosing the darkness. Let's pray together. Holy God, ruler of both light and darkness, would you send your Holy Spirit upon us as we prepare for this holy season. We who have so much to do seek uh, quiet spaces to hear your voice each and every day. We who are filled with anxiety over many things look forward to you coming to us. We who are blessed in many ways 
long for the complete joy of your kingdom. And we whose hearts are indeed heavy, we seek the joy of your presence. We are your people, walking in darkness and yet seeking the light. And to you we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.